you have your Bibles this morning and you would, uh, find with me 2 Samuel chapter 5. But as you're turning there, if you would all also find the Psalms chapter 1, today I want to talk to you about God has a purpose and a plan. And uh, I don't know if you uh, watch the news or talk to people, um, but uh, I spend a lot of my time thinking, what is happening? Now, I also think that because I live with seven females, but uh, literally, I spend most of my life thinking, I just don't understand. And maybe that's not something that you struggle with. Uh, I watch people get sick that I think, oh, I just I don't understand why. I, I, I watch people... I just, I find myself dumbfounded. And uh, it's, sometimes it's hard to watch all that goes on in this world and to see the things that happen. And it's easy sometimes to begin to doubt, begin to question. And so as we come to 2 Samuel chapter 5, I want to talk to you about that God has a purpose and a plan. And even in the chaos, even in the pain, even in the challenges, God has a plan. Now you say, Jake, what in the world does that have to do with Mother's Day? Well, I'm glad that you asked because I'm guessing if you're a mother today, uh, you have probably had some doubts of your own. Am I ever going to get these kids raised? Are they going to turn out normal, like normal productive human beings? You've probably struggled with, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Do I stay home? Do I work? Do I homeschool? Do I public school? Do I do I do? And so I believe that God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of our lives, but I also believe the Bible says that it's our response to follow Him. And so in Psalm chapter 1, I want to read this with you this morning because I want you to see that in a world that has absolutely lost its mind, in a world that has embraced the things of sin and Satan, God is not confused. God is not weak. God has not abandoned you and I. And so if you would stand with me as we're going to read Psalm, all verse 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like a chafe which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the ungodly shall perish. I don't want you to miss those first few words in the first verse. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Today I want you to know that in a world that makes no sense, God can still bless you. God can still be with you. God will still take care of you if you let him. Father, today we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray today that you would give me clarity of mind to preach your word, the truth, with boldness.
Father, I pray today that you would use it to encourage your saints. Lord, that your word would be used by the Spirit to convict and to draw people to yourself. Father, today that we would just leave here being more and more thankful for who you are and what you do for us. And so, Lord, I just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you found 2 Samuel chapter 5, we started last week that David had been established as the king and that he had an opportunity to either respond in revenge and to respond as vindictive or to respond in a way that extended grace and mercy. And today as we begin to look, David has been established and yet David has not realized and not took that and said, well, I've got what I was supposed to have, I'm done. No, God was not done with David. God had more in his life that he wanted to accomplish through him. And many times in our life, we get through seasons, right? You get your children raised, and you think, right? You you get your kids through college, and you think, you get through those first few years of your life in as an adult, and you get out of college, and you finally get a job, and you think, oh. Maybe you get to a point where you have worked your career, and you've retired, and you finally said, oh. Whatever it is, there are seasons in our life where we think we have finally got to the place where God wants us to be. And if we're honest today, most of us take that season as a season to kind of rest. And the Bible tells us there are seasons of rest. The Bible literally tells us that one day a week you are supposed to... Amen. But yet we sometimes forget that. And this morning I want to talk to you because I don't know where you're at in that season of life. Maybe you're here today and you're like our family, right? We have an 11-year-old, we have an 8-year-old, we have a 6-year-old, we have a 5-year-old, we have a 4-year-old, we have a 2-year-old. There is no rest. Ever, no matter what you're doing, there is no rest. There are ball games, there are lessons, there are practice, there's church, there's there's just so many things. Going to be gymnastics, uh, uh, just you name it, and it's something all the time. Sick kid, healthy kid, falling kid, hurt kid, you know, it's always something. And so when I look at my wife, I see there is very little rest for her. Simeons are going, praise the Lord, I am done with that season. We are about a month away for the first time in 11 years. For the first time in 11 years, not to have to buy diapers. Now that might not be a big deal to you. But you just walk through and look what diapers cost. 11 years, literally. And so you start saying, Jake, I'm long past that stage. Okay. Maybe you're in a season where you're caring for your elderly parents. And it's all the time. Someone's fallen. Someone's hurt. Someone's got to go to the doctor. And you feel like, I thought retirement was supposed to be about me enjoying the fruits of my labor. You see, it looks different for each and every one of us. And this morning I want to show you, though, that God had a purpose and plan for David's life. And God has a purpose and plan for your life. But you need to know something. It will not be without challenges. And so if you're taking notes this morning, and I hope that you do, as we started in 2 Samuel, we see the pride and arrogance of those who defy God. Because David had been told that you are to go and you are to take Jerusalem. That is going to be the city of your kingdom. That's going to be the the capital. It's going to be where you reign from. 
But the problem was Jerusalem already had people living there. And those people did not care about David. Those people did not care about the things of God. They had been mixed and blended over the years. And listen to what they say in verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. And so what they say is David and his army approaches, says, we're not worried about you. This is a fortified city. It is a secure city. Even the lame and the blind could keep you away. Literally, they are making fun of David in such a way that there is no way you can take this. There is no way you can accomplish what God has for you. Literally, blind people, people who cannot walk, could keep you from taking this city. It's an outright mockery. They're trying to, 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 to make David feel like there's no hope, that he is useless, that he can't accomplish this. And friends, you and I see that today. And I think it is probably no more evident in what we see God has called men and women to be. If you start talking about things like the Bible says that a godly man looks like this, or a godly woman looks like this, you will be laughed out of almost every single conversation, even at church. The dignity and respect that a godly woman is supposed to have and supposed to be given. The, 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 the qualities of a godly man that the Bible says. You will be mocked for what that looks like. And I won't say some of those mockery things, but you've heard them if you have ever tried to live out your faith according to the Word of God. You have probably seen this in the things that you believe. We are literally watching our country tear itself apart because there are a few people who are trying to do what the Bible says. And I'm not going to talk about each individual issue. I'm going to talk about all of them today. That way I can offend each and every one of you. Start with immigration. The Bible tells us that if you mistreat a refugee, that God will not bless you. And if you say that to a lost and dying world, they'll say, great, bring them in, let them vote. But if you begin to say, but the Bible also says that a nation must have laws and a nation must have a border, those same people who celebrated you will say, well, you right-wing, closed-minded Christian, who do you think you are? If you are to say today that God's people should care for the widow and the orphan. That means that as Baptists, we have a children's home in Carmi that cares for teens that are in bad situations. We have Angel's Cove in Mount Vernon that takes mothers who are pregnant and struggling and help them uh, raise those children and have those children and we care for them as they are born. We have a pregnancy center that shows you that you can choose life. We have an adoption center that says if you have that child and cannot raise it, we are willing to put our money where our mouth is. And so all of those things we do because we believe the Bible teaches that God creates life and you and I shouldn't take it. But yet once that life is born, we are to be there and to care and to love for them and to be there with them. You say, oh, don't you dare wait into that. It's my decision. It's my choice. The Bible says it. We believe it. Same thing about love. 
We believe that two people ought to commit to each other. They ought to wait till they're married. And they ought to enjoy themselves for the rest of their life. You see, that's a wonderful principle. That's a wonderful thing. But yet the Bible teaches us that it is to be one man and to be one woman. And so the same people that celebrated love will begin to mock and hate you when you say what the rest of the Bible says. And we could go on and on in every single issue of life. But this morning I want you to know something. God's people are to be people of truth and love. We're not to be people that are burning down buildings and breaking out windows and, and standing out in front of people's homes while they're trying to raise their children and screaming profanity and wickedness at them. That is not something that God's people do. We pray. We pray. We don't tear down buildings, government buildings, homes. We do not do things like that. Why? Because we know that God has a purpose and a plan and that God will use us and that God will be with us, but we should expect mockery. Friends, I have never had someone, two times I should say that, when I've went into a hospital room and said, can I pray you? Twice, someone has said no. But what I can tell you is this, after I get done praying for them to get better, if I begin to try to talk to them about, do you know Jesus? He's the Son of God. Died on a cross for you. Was buried and rose again. That same person who wanted the blessing of God doesn't want the person of God. And you and I need to understand something. You and I are going to be mocked when we hold to a faith that there is one God. He has one Son. His name is Jesus Christ. He came and was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death. He is fully God, fully man. And that He is the only way to save you from your sins. There is no salvation outside of anyone, any other name, any other person than Jesus Christ. Friends, that's where the people who celebrate your kindness and celebrate your compassion and celebrate your long-sufferingness begin to say, I want no part of it. You see, David had a mission to accomplish, and yet they mocked him. And today I want you to know something. As a parent, if you try to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, there will be things said about you that will break your heart. If you try to love your wife like Christ loves the church, there will be people that will mock you. Wives, if you try to submit and honor your husbands like the Bible says, you will be mocked and made fun of. If you try to commit yourself to a life of purity and honoring God, you will be mocked and made fun of. You say, well, Jake, that's not very hopeful on Mother's Day. Well, I want to listen, show you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, the very first word that Jesus says is, blessed. I'm thinking, woo! I like me some blessings. Anybody like blessings? Okay. Some of you don't. That's okay. Blessed are you. And I'm thinking, here it is. When you win the lottery. Blessed are you when you inherit the fortune. Blessed are you when you have a full head of hair. Blessed are you, Whatever. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. 
Now, that's not where I was thinking that was going. Well, I knew that's where it was going because I read my Bible, but that's not what I would put as two and two equals four. You say, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Now, don't miss this. When they speak all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. All right, Lord, I'm going to be blessed. I trust you in that. I trust you in the mockery. I trust you when people say, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, God, I trust you. I trust you. And I'm going to bear it. But don't miss what he goes on to say. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Now, friends, you can act as spiritual as you want. But there is nothing in you on your own that rejoices and is exceedingly glad when people mock you for your faith, when people make fun of you for your faith. On your own, there is nothing in you that does that because the flesh is weak. The flesh is sinful. And so how does that happen? How can I rejoice and be exceedingly glad when they speak evil against me? When they speak evil against the God that I love? When they speak evil of the church that I love? Because this is what I believe. And this is what it says. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this morning you have to trust that God sees the pain that they're causing. God sees the wickedness that they're doing. God sees the hurt that you're going through. God sees the pain that you're suffering. And He will not let it go without a reward. Now you say, Jake, I don't, I don't know if I want to wait for my reward. Well, that is a decision that you and I don't get to make. I wish I got my rewards now. I bought my kids something off Amazon yesterday. And they're like, when's it going to be here? 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 I said, Mar- May the 24th. It'll be here May the 24th. Oh! Can't we go to Tractor Supply? They've got one out front. Can't we just get it there? No. Because the one outside Tractor Supply has been sitting in the rain and snow and ice for three years. Even I know that's not good on it. So you have to wait. And oh, they were so excited. Oh, they were so happy. But when they realized that May 24th wasn't tomorrow, and it wasn't the next day, that it's not even next week. They said, it's not even next week. No, it's not next week. You have to wait. But friends, if you know anything about who God is, the wait will be worth it. That's hard in the season that you're in. The season that you're in. Sometimes we think, well, well, God, if I could just, if I could just this, or God, if you'd just do this. Friends, this morning I want you to see that there will be pride and arrogance from those who defy God. The second thing I want to show you this morning, though, from this text is we see the victory belongs to those who trust God and obey. We see that victory belongs to those who trust God and obey. Look here in verse 7. Nevertheless, even though they said He couldn't, even though they mocked Him, even though they made fun of Him, even though they were cruel to Him, nevertheless, 
David took the stronghold of Zion. That is, the city of David. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Now this isn't saying that David hates the lame and the blind, all right? That's not what he's saying. He is saying that this city will be shown no mercy. This city will be eradicated because of their defiance to God and His plans. He shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built an altar from the Milo and inward. So David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, set the messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel. And he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. You see, God gave David the victory. He gave him the victory of accomplishing what he had asked. But don't miss this. He didn't just ask him to take the city. He then provided whatever he needed to rebuild the city and to expand the city and to make it greater and to accomplish more. You see, God doesn't just want you to survive the task that He has given you. God wants you to endure this season, but He also wants you to experience what the victory looks like. And God doesn't just win small victories for His people. We think small. We think, oh, we baptized 20 people this year. That is amazing. That's wonderful. That's astronomical. From Baptist standards, that's holy cow. You know, we're going to get in the paper and all these things. God wants to save and work and move in more lives than you and I can comprehend. God is not willing that any should perish. God wants to see us as a church reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God doesn't want us just to sit here in this building in a, in a holy little huddle and say, well, we've got 500 people, we've got 600 people. We're, we're so thankful for the people we've got. We are. But friends, we need to recognize that there are people in this community dying and going to hell every single day. And the Bible says it's our job to go. It's not our job to save them. It's not our job to fix them. It's our job to go and to preach the gospel. It's our job when we go to the hospital, to, to Family Dollar, to Ferris's, to Ides, to the courthouse, to Bopples, to, to the Chinese restaurant, wherever you go, to be looking for an opportunity to, one, love people. Love people in a way that shows them that there is something different about you. That means when you leave here and you go to a restaurant, if you're a jerk, shame on you. It's not what God wants. If your chicken's a little cold, ask them nicely to heat it up. You say, well, my noodles are just a little bit squishy. Ask them nicely to, if you could have some fresh noodles. That's all right. But I have listened and I have watched and I have thought if I could throw something across this restaurant at you on a Sunday afternoon and get away with it, I absolutely would. And so if you hear someone get a hit with a salt shaker this afternoon, it was probably me. Because we walk into the restaurant with our fancy clothes on and our ties and all this stuff and we treat people like they don't matter. But yet God says 
They are fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, we have to get back to believing that God not only wants to use us publicly, but God wants us to use us privately. This is what I want to say to you mothers. I had a wonderful mother. She's not in the first service, so I can say this. Now it'll be more awkward in the second service. Did her very best to raise us in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When I got to be about 16 years old, I found out that there were other people who didn't have wonderful mothers like that, and there were things in this world that you could do that for a season were very, very enjoyable. Very, very sinful. For the next six years, I proceeded to live and run from God, from the things that God wanted for my life. And I can promise you there were days and nights where she was just praying, Lord, bring him back. Lord, keep him safe until you do. And in those days, I am sure, and I've never asked her this because I'm not that kind of person. You ever thought she thought, what did we do wrong? Took him as a kid, drug us to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, praise the Lord, Wednesday night, vacation Bible school, you name it, we were there. Had our faith at home, but do you ever think there just might have been a few days where thought, what did we do wrong? Well, I'm thankful that the Lord is faithful. And I can tell you this, it might feel like today that there is no victory in what God has asked you to do. It might feel like you've just survived and not accomplished. But I am promising you that if you will keep doing what God has asked you to do, He will win the victory. Proverbs, the third chapter, says it like this, starting in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not in your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. That's where everybody stops, but there's some good verses after it. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with your first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new life. Why does it say that? It says, one, you have to make a decision to follow God. But then you've got to be willing to put your money where your mouth is. I'm going to live my life trusting that God can win the victory. The third and final thing as we quickly run to the end, we see that there will be mockery from those who defy God. We see that victory belongs to those who trust God and obey. But also we see the danger of straying after a great victory. David not only won this city, but he had another king start sending him the things that he needed to improve and to build it. And I want to show you that David takes a drastic turn where he shouldn't go. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also more sons and daughters were born to David now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shoabab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nephej, Japhire, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphat. You say, what well, I don't understand, Jake. 
The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy that the king is to have one wife. He is not to pursue multiple wives because those multiple wives can lead him astray. Their gods can lead them astray. The rivalry of different children and different offspring can cause problems. But yet, what did David do? He just kept taking them. For whatever reason, in this moment, David could have said, I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love my family. I'm going to do what God has given me. But he begins to do things the way that the world did them. Friends, the greatest danger you will face is when God wins you a victory and you forget where the victory came from. Our church, the greatest threat that we face is not from without, but it is from within. When we begin to say, we've got enough. We, we can do it on our own. We can take care of this on our own. As a family, the greatest danger that you face is not from the outside. It is when you begin to say, we've accomplished enough. God has given us so much. We can do things now the way that the world does. You see, in the world's eyes, a king should marry. He should bring in multiple people. He should have all of these things because the more sons that you had, the more alliances that you had, the more powerful and secure that you were. But God says, don't do it the world's way. And friends, this morning, my challenge to you is, if you are in a place of blessing where God has been good to you, God has taken care of you, God has done the things that you've needed Him to do. Don't forget Him. Don't forget His goodness and mercy and care for you. In the book of Revelation, the church is being told this very same thing. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. You see, the church had left its first love of Jesus Christ. And friends, you and I struggle with that every day. We struggle with loving the idea of God. We struggle loving the blessings of God. But yet God wants us to love Him. God wants us to have a relationship with Him. There are many of you this morning that I, if I was to come up to you privately and said, tell me about what Jesus is doing in your life. I want to know about how you are spending time in prayer and Bible study and how God is working in your life as an individual. You'd say, oh, well, uh, yeah, woo. man, I love church. That doesn't, that's not what I asked. You'd say, boy, man, you know, I'm pro-life. That's not what I asked. I asked, how is your relationship this morning with Jesus Christ? Now, if I was to say, hey, I want you to tell me about what you think is going on in this country today and how it relates to being a Christian, you'd say, yeah, let me tell you, i got all kinds of thoughts. This morning, my question to you is not what you think about Christianity. It's not what you think about the church. It is, what do you think about Jesus? Do you know Him this morning? Today, maybe you're saying, Jake, I used to have a time of prayer and Bible study. I, I used to be close to Him, but man, I've just gotten busy. I, I've gotten busy reading other things, doing other things. And, and so today, if you were to ask me, 
who he is and what he's doing in my life, I, what today you need to know is you can return. You can repent and return. Maybe you're saying, well, Jay, God just blessed us so much that, you know, we've been, we've been so, God's been so good to us, you know, we've just, we've just taken him for granted. We, we don't, we don't study as a family the way we used to. We don't talk about God the way we used to. We just assume that everybody knows. One of the hardest things for us to do, I think, as believers is this. To stay focused on who God is. Not what we think about Him, but who He is. And this morning, I want you to know that God wants a relationship with you. You say, Jake, I'm saved. I know that. He wants lost people to have a relationship with Him. Absolutely. God wants to save you from your sin. He clearly proved that by dying on the cross, buried, and rose again, and said, come. But this morning what God really wants is for you who know Him to love Him, to trust Him, to believe Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You see, most of us don't think about that. We say we trust Him with a little bit of our heart. We trust Him with most of our heart. God wants you to trust Him with all of it. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on. But I want you to know that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. God has a purpose and a plan for your marriage. God has a person and a plan for you as a parent. But what He wants most from you is a relationship with you. And so this morning, if you can't say that I know Him, I, I'm spending time with Him, I'm studying, I, I know who He is, today that can all change. Whether it's just a repenting and returning or coming to know Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. You see, on Mother's Day, there's a reason that Mother's Day is one of the highest attendance church days and Father's Day is one of the lowest. It's just the truth. Outside of Memorial Day, the 4th of July, Father's Day is about the third lowest attendance church day of the year. You say, Jake, why is that? It's just my honest opinion, men. You can hate me. You can do whatever you want. I don't care. It's because men have abdicated the role that God gave us to be the spiritual leaders of our home. Mom will pray with them at night. Mom will talk with them about things of God, but we're too busy mowing the yard, hunting, fishing. Those can all be used to honor God, and to, I believe that. But most of us say the things of God, our mother can take care of it. And friends, that's not the way that God intended. It's not. You are to love Jesus and to love your wife, and to love your children, and you should talk about it, and you should share about it. You should be willing to communicate it. And when that day comes, I look forward to the day where young boys realize the greatest gift I could give my dad is to go to church with him. Apparently that's what we think our moms want for us, because that's what happens. But yet Father's Day... We're not going to church. We'll do something else with dad. And so today I want to challenge you fathers. I want to challenge you mothers. 
to love Jesus personally, individually, as a family, so that when your kids think about giving you something that they know you would want, it's to worship with them. Whether you're a male or a female. And there are no others, so don't add to it. And so pray with me. Father, today I thank you for your word. God, it's not the sermon I would have chose. It's not the sermon I would have picked today, God. But it is right where we are. So, Father, today I am just praying that you would use it like only you can because you know what your people are going through. Father, today I pray, God, that you would help us to be who you want us to be regardless of the mocking, regardless of the hatred. Lord, help us to be faithful. Father, I pray today that the people's battles that they are facing today, God, that you would remind them that you can not only win them, but God, you can give them a great victory over whatever it is they're facing. But Father, I do pray today that you'd help us to stay humble even in the times of blessing. Lord, don't let us forget you once you have delivered us from whatever it is we're facing. Father, I do pray for families this morning especially. God, I'm so thankful for those godly mothers, God, who have stayed faithful when no one else hasn't. Father, I pray for families in general today, God, that you would help us to be the families that you want us to be for your glory. God, that you would transform a generation of people, save and work and move, all for your glory. And God, I ask it all in Jesus' name.